Welcome to Code Maze, a podcast for future Wolverines in healthcare. I'm Julie Nelson, a pre health advisor at the Noonan Academic Advising Center, and today we are so lucky to have Rachel Patterson from the College of Engineering, who will be hosting this special edition with two students currently in medical school. Take it away, Rachel. Hi, my name is Rachel Patterson, and I am one of the pre-health advisors in biomedical engineering here at the University of Michigan. Today, we have two special guests joining us from University of Michigan Medical School. Peruz Bahar and Devak Nanua are first-year medical students, and they are going to be talking to us about their journey to medical school and some of the ways in which they handle their mental health and emotional well-being while navigating the difficulties that is medical school. So if you both would take a few minutes and introduce yourself, maybe tell us um, why you chose medical school, uh, where you're coming from, from as an undergraduate, and um, what your degree was in before pursuing med school. Thank you so much, Rachel, for that introduction. My name is Devok, and i um, I'm originally from Ann Arbor, Michigan. I went to the University of Michigan for my undergrad and also stayed on to uh, do a master's degree as well before going to medical school. And uh, both of those degrees were in biomedical engineering, which is how we're so familiar with each other. Um, and why, so why I decided to choose medical school is kind of a very like kind of vague and like not really vague, but like kind of a loaded question because there are so many reasons and influences um, over the years that kind of led me to the decision. But if I were to ultimately break it down, I think there are two really key like sort of moments in my life that sort of led me to medicine. And I, I think the first one starts off um, with my mom, with her being my um, biggest inspiration to go into medical school. Um, so she immigrated to the United States uh, from India. Actually, she immigrated to Ann Arbor from India in 1997. And a year later, uh, her and my dad um, were, again, really excited to be new immigrants in the United States and were really eager to have a family. And so um, she found out that she was pregnant sometime in 1998. Um, but shortly afterwards, you know, I mean, she was going in for a lot of uh, routine blood work and a lot of a lot of different scans. And she and, you know, again, granted, she was just really excited. She wasn't feeling any symptoms of you know, anything, everything was going smoothly. And all of a sudden on her blood test, um, she kind of found out that she had um, an abnormal, abnormally high uh, white blood cells. And, you know, at first they thought that, okay, let's do another test. Maybe this is just a blip. But, um, you know, they redid the test and she did have a lot of um, an unusually high number of white blood cells. And so, you know, just kind of coincidentally she was unfortunately diagnosed with leukemia at that time and this was again like really devastating and you know I can't even imagine how she went through this whole experience because she was you know in her late 20s she was a new immigrant to the country and at the same time she was really eager to kind of you know kind of chase that American dream and start her family and sort of start her life uh, with my dad in the United States and suddenly for a 27 year old to kind of be given that reminder of like her own mortality and sort of like a moment to halt um honestly is something that i do not know how if she went through it um and so ultimately at the time um there weren't a lot of different cancer treatments available because it was the late 90s um 
you know, Gleevec, which is sort of the standard treatment for um, leukemia, which is kind of, you know, treats a lot of patients now, wasn't around then. That was kind of an early 2000s innovation. Um, and so at the time, she was working with her doctors and she was kind of given two options. Um, she, her doctors were kind of eager eager to start her on a treatment um, because, you know, I mean, the lo- they didn't know how long, you know, it would take before this cancer goes into another stage or they didn't know how much time she had basically before this kind of got into a situation which they couldn't control well and uh, but however if she did start treatment at that time it would mean aborting her kid that she really wanted to have and you know obviously that kid was me (laughs) um and so it's a difficult decision to make especially you know when you're eager to have a child Mm -hmm. to get going now you have to decide do i pursue you know fulfilling my dream or do i actually take advantage of the health care that's being provided for me no of course yeah. and it was a really challenging decision and you know i this is i, I wrote a great deal about this in my personal statement actually and mm-hmm. before i wrote it i had an opportunity to talk to my uh, mom's gynecologist and sort of her primary care physician that was with her along the way mm-hmm. and uh she actually told me that a week later my parents came into her office and they said that the best news that they had gotten in the last week was that they were expecting a kid. And so, you know, I mean, like, just, you know, grappling with all of that, they were really eager to have a kid. My mom, she knew that, you know, ultimately, if she were to go through chemotherapy, fertility options for her would be limited. Um, and so, you know, she faced this really daunting road. And there were, it was really challenging for my mom at the time, sure. and especially with my dad also having newly immigrated over here it was a lot for them to handle both of them at the same time um but you know luckily what ended up happening is that at michigan medicine this whole story happened over here and so she had a great team of oncologists and physicians and it's funny because before writing my personal statement i actually obtained all the medical records that my mom of my mom's story and so now what me and pirus are learning about writing an hpi and writing you know sort of a patient history i have all those records and i was reading and i'm sort of reading the story of my parents and you know how i came into the world in medical terms in, in medical <laughs> terms yeah and um yeah so essentially they basically worked with her and supported her throughout the way um and also luckily I remember this phrase distinctly from the record. They said the only curative modality was for her to have a bone marrow transplant. And luckily, my younger aunt ended up being a perfect match. And so, and she was in India at the time. And so, and she was also a teenager at the time as well. Mm. I mean, it was, again, like a really difficult situation for my whole family because that's really scary, especially for the patient who's receiving the transplant and also the donor who's supposed to, you know, yeah. be responsible for that. You know, I obviously I've heard this story mm-hmm. before because you and I have chatted about it and it's um a, a very inspiring story. So having this be sort of the foundation of not only why you chose to go to med school but why you chose specifically Michigan Medicine and was one of your top med school choices. Right. Yeah, I mean ultimately it was kind of a hometown thing for me. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean like they, this sort of happened. My mom got a bone marrow transplant from my younger aunt. And then after that, luckily, I mean, she was able to have me with no complications. And mm-hmm. two, like a year or two later, she was able to go into remission. And so growing up, I had my mom basically got a second lease on life. And so That's I had awesome. 
no idea about the whole ordeal that my family went mm -hmm. through. I just remember growing up, I had these like sort of inclinations, sort of these moments where I sort of knew that something happened, but I didn't know exactly what that whole story was. And mm. I think it really came out whenever my mom was supposed to go to the hospital and go on, like basically to get her like, you know, sort of like checkups and like, you know, ca uh, catch up with her primary care physician. She would always just kind of get super nervous. She would get mm. dressed up and, you know, she'd be paid. <laughs> I'm an only kid and I'm sort of looking at my mom being like, what's going on? Like, you know, she's usually like this strong, like sort of like superhero for me, like mm. as a kid. And then after that, all of a sudden, this is kind of the first moment when I'm seeing her like actually kind of nervous. And so mm. it was, I think throughout that, throughout growing up, it was that feeling of gratitude and it was that feeling of thankfulness towards the medical system that I really picked up on. I knew what the relationship between my mom and her physician physicians meant for her and the comfort that she felt sure. going through this ordeal. And so, you know, from a young kid, I was always inclined towards medicine. But again, I it's not like you kind of, you know, are born and you're like, I want to be a doctor. I didn't really, <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't really sure. know, you know, how I kind of had this inclination and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I think that this is something that I kind of want to do. And then ultimately, as you know, I mean, I um, ended up studying biomedical engineering for my undergrad. And, you know, I think one so that, that's kind of the second part of this is that one thing that really stuck out to me was actually during my senior year when I was taking senior design. It was this great opportunity for in, uh, biomedical engineering students to work on a diverse team of clinicians and engineer to try to solve a clinical problem at the hospital. And I remember that I was having a great time, um, you know, kind of, you know, doing research and like innovating. And, you know, I was really excited about my project. And that's also one of the reasons why I started studying biomedical engineering in the first place is because I ultimately wanted to do something to work in a space where patients that are dealing with something that my mom dealt with, I mean, they have a better time dealing with it and they, you know, have an easier journey through sure. a, a terrible ordeal. Um, and so I remember that, you know, I had all of, I had a lot of fun, you know, sort of on the engineering side and sort of being that sort of innovator. But at the same time, I always realized, I realized that it was only through the meetings that we had with the clinicians that we were meeting with that ended up being so fundamental to our project mm -hmm. because through the experience that they have with working in the clinic and, um, you know, just just experience, experience that they got over their careers, they were able to sort of point out key details that were so important towards our design. And ultimately, that was sort of a thing that, again, like really pushed me towards being into medicine because it felt like I needed that clinical experience and I needed that clinical background in order to be an efficient engineer and even in order to be able to innovate in the space that I wanted to. And so, again, I think those are the two big reasons why I got into sure. medicine. I, I know that there are a lot of others, but I'm going to keep it at those two. Thank you. Peruz, why don't you talk a little bit about your background? Well, first of all, that was an amazing story, Devak. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that. And it's also something that I heard through getting to know you this year. Right, and so yeah. it's awesome that we've been able to become close in medical school. And that's of one of course. those special parts of, medical, of being at University of Michigan Medical School where we're, we're surrounded by so many special people like you. So I appreciate you sharing your story. Um, my story is similar in that sense where my parents were immigrants from Iran to the United States. Both of them came during, uh, they left Iran during the Iranian revolution and they 
went to high school and college in England, and then they moved to America after that for grad school. And I think growing up as a child of immigrants made me realize how thankful I was for the opportunity to live in the United States. I remember going back to Iran and 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 seeing how beautiful the country was, but every time I would be there, I realized what I had in America and the opportunity to fulfill my dreams. And so that instilled an interest in me to serve in, in any way that I could and find a way that I could serve that most aligned with my strengths as a young person. And I played soccer very seriously growing up, and I was actually recruited to play soccer at the Naval Academy following my graduation from high school. And that was how I initially envisioned my service looking like. But when I was at the Naval Academy, I had some experiences where I realized what that might look like as an Iranian-American. And I had a conversation with an officer who kind of described engaging with Iran as an enemy of the United States. And I thought about what that would look like for me, and I realized that that's maybe not how I envision myself serving, or it might not align best with my personality and who I am. And so ultimately, I decided to transfer schools after my second year at the Naval Academy and was fortunate to be accepted to Harvard. And when I was there, that gave me an opportunity to explore so many different careers. And I remember after my first year feeling a little bit lost, still trying to find how I would serve. And then my first experience shadowing physicians at that time, just, it immediately clicked. And it made me realize how you could utilize science, which I loved as a physics major. I could utilize my ability to connect with people, which I gained as a soccer player, somebody who was in the military and was part of a team in that sense. And then it allowed me to kind of make an impact on an individual in a direct way, which is something that I was also looking for in my career. And so from those initial moments of being exposed to medicine and finding how I could serve through those aspects of my personality, my experiences after that where I became an EMT and I got involved in the student-run clinic at Harvard continually reinforced my desire to go to medical school. And I've found that now that I am a medical student for... Having, I feel like I've made the right choice because I feel like I'm doing that. What a great journey for you, too. I think that um, what really resonated with me in your story is this concept of serving and being of service to other people. Um, you know, Devak, you touched a little bit on why you specifically chose Michigan Medicine, but Peruse, maybe you could talk a little bit about why you chose Michigan Medicine. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, I grew up on the East Coast, so... I didn't know as much about the University of Michigan even when I was in elementary, middle school, and high school. And my first experience with the University of Michigan Medical School was when I was an undergraduate at Harvard and I attended all the different info sessions that medical schools would give to our school. And the typical medical school info session consisted of an admissions officer giving a presentation about the curriculum and the facilities and they were fine and informative. But Michigan's was the only one that was different in that they brought four alumni from Harvard who are current Michigan medical students, and they talked about the community and their experiences and the ways in which they have been able to pursue their passions at Michigan. And I think that was so emblematic of the community that we have here at Michigan and the ways in which the school supports its students. And when I interviewed at Michigan and when I talked to people after I had been accepted, it became even more clear that that would be the case if I went here for medical school. And... Now that I am a medical student, I think it's true. I do feel so supported here. I've been able to explore my passion to its fullest, and I'm surrounded by people who make me happy and help me live an active life and support me in my academic pursuits. And so mm -hmm. I think it was really the community at Michigan. That's really what drew me here, because a lot of places have the excellence that Michigan has, 
but I think the unique aspect of excellence on top of so supportive, the supportiveness that we have here, I think that was the unique combination that drew me to medical school here. Awesome. Thank you. Um, just for both of you, you know, you obviously applied to Michigan, were admitted, but I'm sure that you both applied to multiple other medical schools. And I'm curious as to, was there a decision matrix or some sort of um, decision tree that you used to narrow down your list of schools that you were going to apply to? And how would you advise other students now who are, you know, in that same boat, how would you advise them to narrow down their list of schools to apply to? I think just going off of what Peru said, I mean, one thing that I was really looking forward for was a really supportive group of people because medical school is a very intense four years that you go through. I mean, just in our first year, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure Peru's would agree to this as well. We've just grown so much throughout this year and we've learned so many new things and had so many new experiences. And I think that the only way that that can be like sort of a beneficial experience for you is if you have people around you that are 100% supportive and that are willing to like, you know, are doing the same thing as you are. And at the same time, you're feeding off of each other's energy. And so... Mm-hmm. You know, I would say that that is something that I was looking for before, but I didn't really know that that was going to be a big sort of decision for me. I can only say that because now, I mean, we're almost at the end of our M1 year. And, you know, it that has definitely been one area that has been crucial for me throughout this whole process. I think going down a more like sort of like traditional way for people who are still applying to medical school and looking for interest in medical schools. One thing for me, especially coming from an engineering background, is that I really prided research. Like I knew that yeah, I knew that when I went to medical school, I wanted to find a medical school that would make me a great clinician. And at the same time, I wanted that medical school to also give me space to not only be a great clinician, but to also ask questions that can potentially take the current practices of medicine that we have to maybe another level. And I think that that the University of Michigan just has, I mean, the research facilities over here, I think are just, you can't compare them to any other facilities. I mean, you know, I mean, Peru's, I mean, throughout the year, you just have to send an email to a professor at the medical school and they're more than willing to hear out your idea or, you know, even if you just have like a inkling. I mean, I remember that, you know, we're in block five right now and we're um, learning about neurology. I have not, uh, before, I mean, before obviously we started the block, I had no idea what neurology was. And so, <laughs> you know, all I did was that I contacted, you know, my doctoring coach who happened to be the lead for neurology. And I was able to, he, you know, without he- without any hesitation, he was like, yeah, come on in and shadow me for like, you know, a day in the clinic. And I think that it's that sort of willingness to support your students that makes Michigan Medical School an incredible an incredible medical school. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think in terms of how I narrowed down my list of schools to apply for, I think trying to reflect on your academic performance in, in, in college can be a useful tool because there's like the AMCAS website, which tells you the stats that, you know, most medical schools on average, accept students with certain stats, and I think that can help you narrow down to a broad list. But I think, like Davok said, it's important to think about 
what kind of medical school culture you want to be part of. There are some medical schools who are mainly focused on research and maybe less on the clinical side. And there are some that are mostly clinical and less focused on the research side. And I think that Michigan is one of those places that does both. Um, and so I think that was something that was a draw to me. I think that you also have to maybe reflect on what kind of students you want to be surrounded by. Um, some students at other medical schools, you know, if, tend to be, you know, more academic. I think Mich Michigan has the academic piece, but also people with, you know, varsity athletics and a lot of other like social uh, skills that they want that are important and help create the community we have here. Um, and so I think it's hard to know at the same time what every medical school is about when you're applying as a pre-medical student. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage you to apply broadly and interview broadly. And then I think through that process, you can kind of narrow down your list and then find out what values are important to you in terms of where you want to live, how much money you're willing to pay for medical school, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what kind of values and culture you want to be surrounded by. Excellent. I think one, adding on to that... Um, Again, for any pre-meds that are listening to this, um, I would say definitely reach out to any peers that you might have who are in medical school right now or people that have just had that experience. Because I do think kind of looking at medical school from the outside and also looking at medical school when you're in medical school, I mean, those two experiences together would be really great for anyone who's applying right now. Because again, they're just... Again, some things that I had no idea about coming into medical school that I do now. And sure. at the same time, going off of the community, that was also one thing that I experienced coming into like the medical school is that it's kind of beautiful that we all have this sort of inclination towards medicine and this inclination to serve and you know be a great clinician. But everyone is so different. Everyone has like these special attributes to themselves that make them truly unique in our class. And I think that that in itself is just so inspirational. Thank you. So this semester we are focusing on wellness with our podcast and how to maintain those things. So can you talk a little bit about how you maintain your wellness across all the ways in which we define wellness? How do you maintain those things while also being um, academically excellent? Yeah, I think, as I was saying, I was a varsity soccer player in college, which was a experience I would never trade for anything. And I still enjoy playing soccer. So no matter what I do, I feel like that has to be part of my life for me to be living well. Thankfully, at Michigan, and I'm sure it's the case at a lot of other medical schools, there's intramural soccer. There's also adult men's leagues and co-ed leagues that I'm a part of. We have a medical student first-year soccer team that we've been able to put together mm -hmm. And so those things, I think, putting them on my schedule, blocking that time off allows me to find joy through that. And then I think the little things, I think, make a big difference. So really trying to focus on how much you're sleeping every night. Are you taking care of yourself in terms of, you know, taking a shower every day, <laughs> getting your hair cut once a month? I don't know. Things like that make me feel like I'm prioritizing my myself while uh, while being in this difficult experience and I think those things require you to prioritize and block off that time for wellness even that and then also trying to get your work done so you can have fun with your friends that makes me feel happy and allows me to process the academics I think yeah I have a very similar answer to Peru's I mean I remember you know from block one which is kind of the beginning of medical school we kind of had this canvas calendar and we were like oh wow like this is this is a lot of things to do and so 
I remember for me, it was kind of like a gradual buildup. I really made sure to kind of, you know, be able to be like, all right, am I, am I able to get my work done on time? Am I able to get, you know, enough sleep? Am I able to take care of myself? And then after that, as we moved from block to block, things just started adding on. You know, I mean, the curriculum got more difficult. There was a lot more time that needed to be put into studying. And so I remember, like, you know, as we got to block two, block three, I did end up putting a lot more time into my academics. But at the same time, I remember there was like a distinct moment, like, you know, sort of in block two and block three and be like, wait a minute, like I am spending so much time, like, you know, on academics that I feel like a lot of other aspects, like I'm not like, you know, being good about budgeting things, other things that make me happy. For example, yeah, me and Peruz are both on the M1 soccer team, you know, being like sort of adamant about going to the gym, um, you know, being like budgeting some time to call friends that are not in medical school that I had like, you know, in undergrad, um, you know, sort of like those sort of other things that really made me happy that are crucial to making me a good student as well you know writing um you know i also play the cello and so you know finding sort of outlets for everything that i wanted to do and at the same time balancing that with my academics i think was a big part of wellness because yeah you could make so you could sort of point out that yeah i mean that's still you know an hour a day that you're spending doing the activity but i feel like the more diversity of activities that you have, it actually, for me, gives me energy to then go back to my, like, sort of, like, academics and be like, all right, let's crank out another lecture. Let's, you know, do some work. So what I'm hearing from both of you actually is really a time management skill. Yeah. So it's not even about, you know, doing all of these things or being engaged in them. It's more using the time management skills that you that make you an excellent student that also help you maintain your overall well-being. Definitely. And I think it's also about reflecting on what you need at that time point. Because mm-hmm. there might be some days where, Devok, you feel like you need to play the cello for an hour yeah. to just relax. Mm-hmm. And then there are some days where you feel like you need to be around five of your classmates over dinner to talk about the funny things you learned about in doctoring with the physical exam skills that you learned. <laughs> right. And so I think it's being able to, when you find that you need something, figure out a way to fit that into your schedule. And I think the great thing about, like, again, Michigan's first year curriculum is that a lot of it is, um, you know, kind of a mix of we kind of have lectures online. And then after that, we also have some things that we have to do in person. But a lot of it, it's really flexible. And so you can sort of set your schedule and set your time according to how you want to spend your time. And, you know, and so that, again, there are some times during the day where I'm studying, but then, you know, it's quite convenient or you know it isn't the hardest thing to do to kind of make time for your friends and again go to dinner and sort of do the activities that make you happy so because you have such flexibility in how you learn and and the actual schedule that you keep do you find that you need to be more purposeful with your studying with your extracurriculars and with doing the things that you that do help you balance your life Yeah, I think so. I think it's kind of funny because it's a canvas calendar, which is just something that they put on the uh, on the website. (laughs) But I I try and really utilize it to determine how I'm going to spend my day. So, for example, this morning we had blocked off three hours of time from 9 a.m. to 12 to do the lectures. And that, in my mind, is when I'm going to try and get them done. And that means that in the afternoon I will have a meeting where I can do a podcast like this or I can work on research stuff and then... I also realize when is a good time for me to study 
because if I'm studying, I want to be focused and do it efficiently. So maybe maybe I say, okay, 3 to 5 p.m. is like going to be a good time for me to really get some stuff done. So I'm going to set a goal for myself to get through the material that I need to get to. So I think, it, like you're saying, it's important to be purposeful and also structure your schedule, whether it's through a Canvas calendar or meetings. That way you're not having six-hour chunks of time where you don't really know what to do with it. And then you can kind of let the work take that whole six hours when it could really only need to take two. I think at the same time, I mean, given that again, me, Peruz, and all of our other classmates, we're on, we all do have that sort of basic Canvas calendar. We all keep each other accountable in the class. I mean, you mm. know, I mean, we're all, you know, I mean, like, if me and Peruz are hanging out later, I mean, both of us will sort of keep each other accountable that, hey, I mean, like, you should work earlier, you know, sort of in the day so that you can block off time to do this. Or, you know, if our class is sort of doing, we usually have these mixers at the uh, beginning of the block where we're, be, where we're able to meet professors that are going to be teaching us during that block. And so I think a lot of it is given that we have lectures online, like whenever there's like an in-person thing where we're able to interact with people at the medical school and even our peers, we're always trying to make time for that. And so I think that, yeah, overall, I mean, like it is a lot of like accountability that you have to put on yourself and that you can also put on your peers. That sounds really great, and I'm so glad that you have that opportunity to engage with your peers and with uh, Michigan uh, medicine professors and doctors. One thing I'm curious about, though, is even though you do, it does sound like you have a really nice balance to um, working and extracurriculars, I'm wondering, have there been moments where you have experienced anxiety or stress or um, even maybe depression where you've had to struggle to motivate yourself or to maybe look more at reality instead of the giving into the anxious fears of I'm not doing enough, I'm not succeeding, I'm not, you know, in line with my peers, any of those things. What are some of the things or skills that you use to work through some of those things? I would say, yeah. I mean, like, abs absolutely, there are those days that we, you know, are anxious in medical school. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not a feeling that is... I don't is, think it's unique to medical school. No, it's school. not unique to medical school <laughs> at all. Um, I do think that, um, I think earlier, especially earlier in the curriculum, I had more of those anxious thoughts, um, especially because I think your first year of medical school is just so much new, so many new things happening to you all at, like in quick succession. And so I remember sort of dealing with those, like sort of like feeling overwhelmed at times, um, especially with all of these changes, you know, how I'm meeting all of these new people, I have these new responsibilities, and at the same time, you know, making time to make sure that I'm like, you know, calling my parents and, you know, hanging out with like other friends and, you know, just being a complete person. And I think that for me personally, it just, I just sort of had to hang in there, just take a few deep breaths. And then after that, just kind of, you know, not, you know, acknowledge the like task at hand. And I think that, you know, that's where my peers come in is because it's funny. It's because whenever I was feeling kind of anxious about things, I knew that there were people in our class that were also feeling similarly. And so, you know, I feel like I bonded with a lot of my friends over that because we were all going through this together. Um, but I feel like over time, it was only over time that I actually started getting 
a little bit more comfortable with, you know, my work schedule. And it was only with getting a little bit of confidence and comfort through that was I able to like sort of add on other things. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that point about the initial stress of medical school being anxiety inducing and feeling like the more you have experienced it, the better you're able to handle it. I think that there was one moment, especially in medical school, that was difficult for me. One, and that was when I broke up with my girlfriend prior to medical school early on uh, during this year. And I think that basically went from having, you know, the support system to this, to not having it. And I think that is a struggle that a lot of people who have experienced breakups can relate to. I think what helped me in those moments was being surrounded by two roommates and a wide group of friends who on the first day that I was out of the relationship, my friends texted me and asked to go on a walk and talk about it. And I think just being receptive to those people and, you know, realizing who I had around me day by day made me feel happier about just where I was and the community that I had. And so I would really lean into those support systems that you have in medical school. For me, as somebody who doesn't live in Michigan, my friends have been the support system that I really needed. So I feel very grateful for that. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Um, So maybe a lighter topic. Mm -hmm. What is something about medical school that really surprised you that maybe you weren't really prepared for? whatever that may be maybe it's something kind of funny or silly or maybe it's like wow this is not something i really even thought about (laughs) (laughs) um two things come to mind immediately i think one i think people told me that medical school is fast i didn't anticipate it being this fast i mean the pace is really something that shouldn't be underestimated um because i think that the whole point of this first year is to challenge you and Yes, you are being sufficiently challenged. I mean, I didn't expect it coming in, but um, it's definitely be something something that has taken time to get used to and sort of like you know, at the same time try to like you know get a hang of. Um, and I guess like another thing that I really didn't um, just couldn't imagine was I'd say at our anatomy labs. I mean, we're doing dissections on cadavers and, you know, I mean, like I'd never seen a dead body before. And so (laughs) I think just literally, you know, going into the cadaver lab with your like lab partner. And then after that, you know, going system by system and just pulling apart the human body. And like, it's just stuff that I would have never like anticipated or, or could imagine, like, you know, I mean, like, it. I've seen, like, diagrams, you know, from, like, undergrad and, like, you know, from your, like, physiology lecture, but there's just something about being there and just doing it that is, you know, that is something that I was not prepared for as well. And so, and I know sort of the curriculum yeah. you went through before yeah. you got to medical school, so given that you had such a broad um, physiology mm-hmm. background before even getting to medical school, do you still find moments in your anatomy labs where you are still amazed by the things that the human body can do or that getting to see this in a real setting where this is a real person and now I'm dissecting this and it's fascinating and impressive yeah no absolutely (laughs) I mean like I I mean like again me and Prue actually have the same category which is we're just like sort of like one of us does the dissection and then after two hours later another group does the dissection and so 
we, you know, I would say that just looking at a human body and then after that, especially like taking it apart, like layer by layer, you are just so amazed at how complex, like how elegantly we're sort of made, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like it seems like every little thing in your body has a specific function for a reason. And just to like think about like how like, you know, it's just such an elaborate system it's just it's mind blowing. It's and something that we kind of like take for granted, right? Because sure. like we're not really we don't really think sitting about it. Sitting functioning right. people right yeah, now. Yeah, we're just sitting <laughs> functioning. It's like, yeah, it's kind of normal, but like yeah, it's definitely been it's it's yeah, it's it's just mind blowing. Honestly, I I'm at a loss of words right now. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> the original question is something yeah. that surprised you about medical school approved. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes when you go through medical school and it's so fast you need time to process how mind-blowing it is, what everything you you learn. I think one thing specifically that surprised me, and I think hopefully this should be exciting for the pre-med students listening to this, is how quickly you can actually work with patients and feel like you can help them. I remember when I reached out to a urology mentor who has been so supportive to me. Uh, his name is Dr. George. He allowed me to shadow in the operating room and he allowed me to scrub into the case and help place ports in the abdomen for a robotic kidney uh, resection of a tumor and three months into medical school to have that experience was just like the most amazing gift that I could have and it made me feel like I was pursuing my dreams at that moment and so just surprised by the fact that when you become in you know when you put on that white coat you really can help people and be part of the care really early on and so that was a surprise and something I was grateful for. Awesome. So we're about out of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so last question, anything you want to share that we didn't talk about already? Any last words of wisdom or advice um, for those thinking about pursuing medicine in the future? Yeah, I mean, like, just, again, to keep it short, um, I would say... For Have pr- you ever been able to do that? <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I, I would definitely just... If I were to look back at my former self, just I would say take like take your time. You know, I mean, I remember just being in the like pre-med cycle and just like being very oriented that I want this done by this day and this year and it's going to happen like that. Like I remember just being so rigid about like time. And I just think that, you know, I mean, like, again, I I remember Rachel. I mean, like I didn't initially want to like do like a master's. It was only until my senior year that I realized that, hey, I actually really like doing research in Dr. Shea's lab. You know, a master's might be a really beneficial thing for me. I think that, you know, just sort of taking time to do things that you're really passionate about. And before you go into medical school, will, you know, it'll it's worth it. It'll ultimately pay off. Don't be pressed for time. I mean, again, as long as you're doing something that you're passionate about and you want to go into medicine, I'm sure that you'll find your way there eventually. So for all my students who don't take my advice, that <laughs> advice from me is coming from an M1 student. Take your time. Go have fruits. I, I totally agree with taking your time. And I think the reason why it's important from my perspective is medical school is hard and there'll be times when you're reflecting on why you're doing this and what helps you get through those times is having a story like Daybox about a personal drive that inspires you to get through this moment and ultimately serve patients and make an impact in healthcare more broadly. And I think by taking your time, you can reflect on your values and what that specifically is that inspires you and hold on to that as hard as you can. And when you get the opportunity to 
be in a research lab as an undergraduate or become a medical student, just keep pushing on that path and and try and use the opportunities you can to help serve those that you can in the future. Um, because I think it's a great gift that you're given to be a pre-medical student and to ultimately become a doctor. And so I would encourage you to take your time to figure out how you're going to do that to the best of your ability and serve patients as best as you can. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate both of you taking time out of what I know is a busy (laughs) schedule and to share your words of wisdom to those students coming up behind you. I hope the rest of your year goes well, and I look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Thank you so much, and thank you for having us again. Yeah. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Code Maze. Produced by our own wonderful Maria Rabb on the University of Michigan campus in Ann Arbor. Our music, Total Happy Up and Sunny, is by Sasha Ande. Be sure to follow Code Maze on Spotify or check out past episodes on the LSA Academic Advising Center website, Pre Health Section. Thank you, and see you soon in advising. <laughs>